0: is Paul and today I am interviewing welcoming a Pittsburgh legend is is how I would say it wouldn't you say it John you're a legend
1: I I would definitely not say that
0: <laughs> His name is John Stecker
1: That's right yeah
0: John Stecker not Stoker or Stalker Stecker Yep <laughs> <laughs> Thanks John thanks for coming in you're actually the first guest um, that I've interviewed in person because I started this during during the lockdown. That's rad. Yeah, so welcome. I'm happy to be here. Welcome to the shit show, as it says right behind <laughs> you. Um, yeah, cool. So let's start with with Pittsburgh legend. The reason I say that is because despite your self deprecating nature, it would be easier to list the bands you haven't recorded. In sort of the punk rock scene than the bands you have recorded. Would you agree or disagree?
1: No, I guess that's true, but still doesn't uh, make me a legend, I guess.
0: <laughs> well, let's let's analyze legend. People, everybody in Pittsburgh knows who you are. I would say, like even general population, infants, old women. <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: I don't know about all that, but.
0: <laughs> um. So you play in Johnny and the Razorblades. You own Razorblade Recordings. Yep. So let's start going back when you first realized you had a little bit of talent. You put your first bands together. Um, What what was your objective there? Was that already all the way back in high school?
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, Let's see, like 2003 is when we started playing, me and our drummer, I've been playing with the same drummer forever. Um, I've played with a couple drummers before that, but once me and him got together, that's uh, it's been like that for different bands. But Johnny and Razorblades has been a band since two thousand and six. So.
0: And and why did you? So what was the what was the reason you started that band? Did you have bands before that that sort of petered out? And all
1: yeah, that uh, like before that. There was like a like a I don't, I don't wanna say like a grunge sort of period, but like I I, I but something sort of similar to that. Like I, I was very much into like Nirvana and Alice and Chains and things like that. And like I listened to other music, other punk music and things like that, but for the most part I was in to that stuff. And then later on, like around two thousand and three, I got really into a band called The Exploding Hearts and everything that they got into like the internet isn't what it is now so like you read about bands and then you're like hey who do they like and then I got into the jam and then I got into the buzzcocks and things like that And like oh these guys are really cool and like I I like the the buzzcocks already from like Nirvana but later on I got into more of that stuff because the bands that I liked were already in it
0: right right that that's cool um And did you, you're lefty, so we should start by saying you have that handicap going in, (laughs) being being a lefty player. Um, Did you always start playing lefty or did you try to play righty?
1: I can actually play upside down. Um, I learned how to play left-handed, but from breaking strings and not having guitars early on, I learned how to play guitar upside down. So, like, if I broke a string, I could borrow somebody's guitar in a crowd and be like, hey, can I borrow your guitar? (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) So, I I can actually play a right-handed guitar completely upside down.
0: And that's obviously not the way you would prefer to play
1: it. Oh, definitely not. But it's it's an option (laughs) if we're, like, out somewhere. And then later on, I learned I changed string gauge, and that made a big difference. So
0: cool that's that's funny did so you never had nuns in school like wrapping you on the hands to try to
1: (laughs) no i went to a catholic school for kindergarten and that was it (laughs) (laughs)
0: um okay so 2006 you said for for johnny and the razor blades yep yeah so you got together with the drummer mike right yeah yeah okay and um you you you've done a bunch of shows and uh, I first played you played with you when I was still living in Chicago. We were on a couple of bills together. Yeah. Um, what was your objective with the band? Were was that especially initially? Um, was it before you started the recording stuff? Were you trying to like?
1: I, I've always been recording. I, I okay. So so when I started record like recording, I should say, uh, we were playing as. as an old band called Organized Confusion. That's what we did. We we were like, okay, cool. And we went somewhere, paid money. And I was so not happy with anything.
0: <laughs> so it, paid money, like pay to play. You mean,
1: uh, no, we paid money oh, for, for, for studio, for, for, for studio for time. Studio and, and I was just not happy at all. Um, <laughs> then we got more and more involved in music. And I, my parents ended up buying me like a four track cassette recorder. Okay then that's yeah. what sent me like oh you could do so much with this and i i i learned how to do all kinds of stuff with my four track and then eventually i just went to bigger recording
0: okay that's that's uh that's super cool when did you when did you move from four track to what was you what was your next step did you then jump to digital like those digital workstations that yeah, Roland so, was making well, back in the day
1: so i i always had a four track eventually i had uh I forget what it's called, but it was on a PC at, at the time. It was like uh, Adobe, it was Adobe Audition, Okay. but it wasn't called Audition okay. yet. Adobe didn't buy it. And mm. I had that for a while, but I didn't really use that. That was more or less just for quick demos and what I would finish uh, my four tracks onto. Okay. That way I could put it on a digital profile for people to listen to. Right. Um, but I started with a four track, then I went to a digital eight track. And eventually, I have right now a sixteen-track analog reel-to-reel that I that no nobody uses because it's too much money. Right. And then I have a Pro tool set up.
0: Right. Okay. So if we go back to to Johnny and the Razor Blades, you you were doing recording right from the beginning. But did you did you have bigger aspirations for for the band? Did you wanna be originally,
1: successful? Yeah. Originally, we actually. Uh, 2007 early 2008 we actually had interest major label interest and a guy from oh was it capital i don't remember which label it was now it's, it's been a while but they came out to pittsburgh to see us and meet with us and everything and we sat and we talked with them for a while and we played for him he was like i want you but i want you to be country Because that's what's selling music, like and it's like he's like your music's not far off, it's just we need to slow it down and take some of the edge off. And I'm like, no, no. I mean, so basically, it was like I think it was 1.2 million was the deal was for us to go.
0: Oh my god.
1: Yeah, and yeah, but here I am in Pittsburgh still. Now I look back like I have kids, and I'm like, man, we should (laughs) have really, we were stupid, and but but. And then it's like, well, sometimes it's like, oh, well, it's still kind of cool we did that, but eh.
0: So w- did they take you out and wine you and dine you and say you were the greatest band ever and all of that sort of A&R stuff?
1: I mean, they met with us in Homestead Waterfront area and they talked with us and we, we actually we didn't do the wine and dining. He came, he came in, met us where we were set up for a practice so that he could actually listen to us. And he was like, hey, you guys are great. Here's what I want here. He's like, you, we're going to get you a cowboy hat. And I'm like, no, no, you're absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> you are not doing that. So that's why uh, Johnny and Blades is still that.
0: <laughs> so I often tell people that if someone will pay me money to play music, I will take the money and play the music, right? Because I'd rather do that than dig ditches or do whatever else.
1: And and now I'll, I'll I'll play on anything. Uh, You know, I'll I'll play whatever you do. Tell me what you need to play and I'll play it. But back then I was a young kid and I was like, I was like 21, 22. And I'm like, well, if there's one guy coming, there's going to be multiple people coming (laughs) at some point and they're not going to just want country music. even though country music is what was selling. Right. Still is still only thing really selling.
0: So no one else came, no other labels. Nope. And how how did they hear of you or contact you? Did you ever find that out? Uh
1: we were on a couple of different uh CDs and things that that were part of like major label distribution. Um we I don't want to say we paid to get onto a, a CD, but it was like a major comp of some sort of like multiple bands of this area and that's where they heard us.
0: Okay. Okay. And so thinking about that time, obviously, you've just said that, you know, you were a young kid and you weren't thinking about it. But if you put yourself back into the mindset, was the problem really that it was country and you weren't interested in country music? Because it's still your songs that you're writing, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, everything would have been the same, except the songs would have been slower. I'd have been wearing a cowboy hat, cowboy boots. I, uh, it's, that's not for me. I mean, even now, I'm, I am I still think about it like, ah, that would have been awesome, but that would have been terrible.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't. I mean, let's think about that for a second. Would it have been terrible? I guess if it's the normal trajectory of a band, you put out an album, maybe it doesn't sell so well. Maybe you get to do a second and then you get dropped. And then
1: I, that have. There's a lot of bands, was it Lit? They were popular in the late 90s, early 2000s, and they're making country records now. They were a pop-punk
0: band. I, Yeah, yeah. So you just had uh, a country performer in your studio yeah. rec- recording. Um, and as you just said, you don't have any problem um, playing whatever anybody asks you to do now. So is it just getting old john is that is that oh, what it is it's,
1: it's gotta be because like <laughs> be, before i even before i would still played what you wanted me to if it was for somebody else for something else but for myself it wasn't that but now it's like i don't whatever i'll just play
0: so what was it what was the style at the time you guys just released a record called i have it right here called learn to love it um so is the style comparable to, to back in the day, two thousand six or so?
1: Yeah, uh, funny enough, some of the songs that are on that were written back then, because <laughs> uh, I record every other band in the city except for my own. Right. So right. like basically, we put out a record. That's that record itself. That learn to love it. That's been recorded for like four years.
0: Oh my God! Really? Yeah. And so, what were you sitting on?
1: Uh. I had to finish up things like a couple vocals here or there tambourine here or there. (laughs) And it's just busy. So like,
0: yeah, yeah. So then let, I want to talk about the studio stuff in a second, but if you had to make a choice right now, if you had to make a hard decision about continuing doing band stuff versus studio stuff, what would you choose?
1: Uh, This is going to sound bad, but I would take studio stuff because I could help more people.
0: Okay, okay, but you're also making money from that, right? Is that part of the equation or no?
1: I make money, but not what I could be making. Does that make sense? Like, so like what I charge isn't a lot. So what? What I guess you can get like uh, for bands. I, I try to work with them on costs as much as right. possible. Right. So I mean, like it's enough that I don't get yelled at at home from my wife.
0: <laughs> I mean, okay. it's, that's, that, that's an important consideration.
1: I, I mean, I, that's the best I can really put it. And yeah. I'm not trying to throw her under the yeah. bus, but like, I mean, it's <laughs> like, it, it's, I, I try to be as reasonable as possible with bands. Like, I mean, like if a band can't pay me, okay, cool. Uh, can you, how about in like a couple months, like right. work, how many, how many shows can you get? Like, do what you got to do. I understand. I play in a band. I I, okay. I completely get it. So, I, I mean, more or less, my recording is how much I can help somebody.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, that's cool. So, before we get into the actual studio stuff, you you mentioned your wife. You have a wife, you have a twin daughters, you play yep. in a band, and you have a very busy studio. Yeah. Right? So, are you doing anything else?
1: I mean, I have a regular job, too. <laughs> <That's-> <laughs> yeah I mean that's you know busy but
0: right and how are you dividing up your day job work with your, with your music work so do you get to say okay it's 4 o'clock or 5 o'clock and I'm just done with my day job <laughs> no. does it work like that? no, no.
1: so uh, I work for a major health corporation uh, for an insurance I should say and i develop and gatekeep what's called uh, a macro so like I help people who answer your phone calls right and I that's my job is like to help make their job easier right okay so they hit they'll hit like control alt t and it'll automatically do whatever I have it automated to do okay so that's that's what I do for that but then I also have a team that reports to me that I have to help with as well (laughs) so like usually I'm on until about five thirty ish, but like a, like I could get an email in like a half an hour and be like, "Oh, hey, can you join this meeting?"
0: Right, right. Wow. So you're getting you're getting bleed over from from your day job. If if you could, so if you just started charging more for your studio time, could you quit your day job? Probably. Okay. I
1: I but that that, that it hurts because I, I know. I don't. There, there's so many studios in the city, yeah. and on top of that, like they're already charging. I, I understand they have to keep their doors open. That's what it's right. what they do. But I don't. I couldn't do that to a band. Right. Like I. I. I, I mean. I. I was. I was that band at some point, and I, yeah. I. I understand entirely how that goes. Like, and that's why. So, I have a friend. You. You actually know him, Brandon Capolka, right? Yeah. So. I wasn't going to record bands at all. I was only recording my band. That was it. And he was like, Hey man, can you record us? Sure. (laughs) And from there, it basically snowballed
0: because no one can say no to polka. That's, that's true.
1: Yeah. I mean, like, I mean him and chunk and Randall, they came and I'm like, I'll, I'll be happy to help you. I, I, they're like, and I swear to you, uh, they're like, can you make it sound like like it was in a trash can, like a metal trash can? I'm like, <laughs> you, sh- I-, I can. Is this, are you sure that's what you want? Yeah, okay. And that's what their first record came out to be.
0: So that's the uh, legendary Super Fun Time Awesome Party Band that John is talking about right now. So let's take a side journey and talk about the legendary line. Um that is, you're so cool, you have sunglasses in your veins. So Polka says that on one of their songs. Where does that come from, John?
1: So I was working with another band at the time uh, called the show, and they had a, a song lyric or a song called sunglasses. And in that lyric, it says something about uh something about sunglasses in your veins or something like that and, and polka was actually drunk and heard it as, you're so cool, you have sunglasses in your veins. And from that point on, that's where he started singing
0: it. Right, classic. Um, Okay, let's go back to the studio. So I've done the same thing as you or something very similar, which is I wanted to record my own bands. So I read a bunch of stuff, I bought gear, and I learned how (laughs) to do it, right? That's that's basically what happens. And when you go back to those first recordings that you did, you're just like, oh my god, that sounds like shit. Um, Because you get a little bit better every time, and you apply a new technique or whatever. And I'm happy to record other bands, but I'll never take money. And the reason is because I don't want them to have an expectation that it's going to be good.
1: That's, okay, so... That is entirely fair. Uh, and a lot of the way I do things, uh, I don't know how to. I try to explain to the, every band, I can only make you sound as good as you actually sound. I, I, I'm, I'm not that guy who goes, well, we're going to fix these drums over here and tighten them up to the grid. And now we're going to take your vocal and then uh, we're going to make sure that's all in key. And I'm like, no, this, this is you. Right. I want it to sound like you. It's such a big deal to me is like making a band sound the way that band sounds. Right. Now, it could be the best that that band has ever sounded, but that's the idea. I mean, we want to make sure that, like, for instance, Polka, uh, you can, on our first record, you can gradually hear him getting drunker as the album <laughs> goes. And the second time around, we're like, okay, we, we got to make sure we're not doing that We've got to make sure you sound good on each song right so right that's
0: so let's talk about the evolution of your studio so you your studio which which I've been to um I re- I recorded the money money uh, <laughs> chorus on the new Johnny and the Razorblades record which was really fun I was there with uh, Chuck from Inko Fido we were there on the same night it was great um, but you have built a pretty great studio with a lot of gear into the the ground floor of your home yeah. And how long did that take you? What was your idea? Did you buy the house specifically to do that? You know, what was the idea there?
1: Uh, so we when we bought a house, we were like looking specifically for a house that had easy access to the basement because I knew that was going to be what I wanted to overtake as far as uh, a room went. And we we looked around a lot and eventually we came across the house that we're in. It's like, and it's easy access for pretty much anybody. The way, the way the way the house is, we made sure it was like, okay, this is on the front. This is easy. You can come around right here. There's lots of parking. This is great. And that's basically what it was. And I have had gear uh, and I just added more. I just kept adding more <laughs> gear.
0: So if we just take a very quick sojourn into gear... In the box recording versus hardware recording. Do you have a preference?
1: Uh, so I used to really like tape hardware recording. Uh, uh, you know, that's where I came from. That's what I enjoy. The cost is outrageous.
0: Just like the cost of tape,
1: the cost of tape, cost of tape alone is like $300 for 15 minutes. Oh my God. And that's 15 minutes. So like, uh, you still have to put like a minute between songs, right. so like you're 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 only gonna get four maybe five songs on a reel of tape,
0: right.
1: and uh, I mean for, and that's if you're my band, uh, you know, you know where, where our songs are three minutes tops, you know, so yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a big deal. So eventually, we moved. It, I moved it specifically to more digital, and uh, learning Pro Tools was fun, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> not really but i mean i've
0: I, never heard anyone say that
1: yeah uh i have i've enjoyed a lot of the stuff you can do in pro tools i i like i did some digital recording um but not uh in pro tools so like learning the different ones i was like okay well okay there's pro tools and uh there was uh, what was what's out there uh
0: there's like studio One. Oh, now now
1: there's studio one which yeah. is not too bad. Uh, Reaper isn't bad. And, um, I'm just trying to think of things that I have on my computer now for when, if bands send me stuff, the mix, right. Like it's, Oh, you can use it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. So that like, yeah. so like logic, I have logic. I have all these different programs that bands have sent me their files and I'm like,
0: right.
1: well, I have to be able to open them. So I have to have these programs. Right. So
0: and what what's your ratio of doing the whole the whole thing that is recording mixing and mastering versus people just sending you stuff to mix and master
1: like ninety nine to one okay so like right now, I have Marcus from Rocky Dennis face, so yeah. I went to his house, showed him how this is how I would record drums blah 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 yeah. blah, and he sends me everything, and I just mix it for him okay um but there's occasionally a couple bands here and there that like, Hey, can you mix something for me? And they'll send me something and whatever. But, uh, if I have any say, I like to be able to record it because I'm really particular over how certain things are tracked.
0: Right. Right. And that, that makes, that makes perfect sense. Um, maybe just a few more questions for this episode before we, uh, before we, uh, we, we end here. Um, how did you decide on your pricing structure? Was that something that you really thought about, or was it something that just sort of developed over time?
1: So it developed because um, originally it was basically like, okay, I wasn't recording bands; I, I was just recording my band, and like poking them at the time. I used to drink, and he's like, "We'll give you some case, couple cases of beer, and cool, we'll have a <laughs> fun weekend." And that's basically how that worked. And eventually like certain bands would be like, Hey, what about you want to, you you want to record my band? I'm like, I guess I can. And eventually like, okay, well what's reasonable. And some bands, like if I can get a whole weekend, it'll be like depending on what needs done 500 to 600 for a weekend. And that covers right. the recording, the mixing, right? you know, all of it. And, uh, some bands they they aren't able to do that so it's like you know between 150 300 a song depending on what they have available Um, so that's typically how i work and it's like it it covers all the tracking all the mixing all the mastering
0: when you when did you first start like after the polka experience super fun time experience when you were just starting to record other bands when did you decide, okay, this is now called Razorblade Recording. Tolkien named it. Really? Yeah.
1: <laughs> he's like, what, what do you call your studio? I was like, I don't know. Uh, so he was like, well, I'm just going to call it Razorblade Recordings or Studios or something like that. And then he's like, I'm just going to call it that because you're in Johnny and the Razorblades. I said, okay, cool. And that's how that was named. I have a Facebook page because Bill Jasper made me name a, get a Facebook page. So... <laughs>
0: Amazing. Every so, this is what I say when I say this is what I mean when I say that you're a legend, John. Because everybody wants to do all this stuff and make sure you get uh, the the accolades that that you deserve. Quite frankly,
1: dude, I just want bands to have something I'll listen to. <laughs> like, like, like these are bands that I like, and that's another thing. I only record bands I like. I don't record something I don't like, and it's not not that I don't want to record them. It's just I don't have any. Anything in it to do right. it, you know what I mean? Right. Like, like I'll only work with a band that I actually will go and see. I I enjoy listening to, and that, that's a big deal to me. Like, I I'm not gonna take money just to take somebody's money.
0: Right, right, okay. Versus, whereas if you turned it act into your actual full time job, then you would need to would, start doing some of that. Right,
1: stuff. And, I, and that's I, I I just can't do that. Like okay. I I would I would hate to take somebody's money and not have something to be like. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, your your song—it sounds pretty good. Not, I mean, the... <laughs> uh,
0: oh my god. Uh, so let's leave it with uh, with one la- one last question here, and that is: Has anyone ever come into your studio and broken something? And if yes, what is that thing? Uh,
1: there's been things broken. I don't know. I, I had a preamp busted before somebody came in and like they didn't really break it intentionally. Like right, they, they just right. were like leaning and I, and it broke because of the way that they were leaning on it. Okay. It's not, not, I don't whatever. And I just took it apart and refixed it and it's fine. And
0: I, you, you have a lot of guitars. So has anyone ever like taken a guitar down and played it and put it back and like broken a string or done all, something? And all the time. It...
1: Uh, like for, for Polka. <laughs> so Polka is a left-handed guitar player. And uh, I, I've actually lent him guitars the, for recording and like here, um, we'll take off the high E strings. Right. I know you don't play it, because so it play it. so I mean that's happened. And I've recently bought a ton of uh, right-handed guitars and basses, and that happens all the time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, we're gonna leave it there, and we will uh, we will certainly talk to you again. I think we're just touching the the tip of the uh, John Stecker iceberg. Uh, thanks to everyone who's listening please continue to listen please like and subscribe and do all of that stuff it is much appreciated thanks to John thanks for stopping by John thanks for having me man right on brother